Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we bow before you today, it is our deep desire that you will teach us from your word, draw us to yourself, and help us to know you better. We ask for wisdom and clarity and understanding. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I begin my message today, I want to take you back to when I was in Bible college. Not quite the same for Sophie heading off. I had finished my first year. And I wasn't able to be with my parents because they were missionaries in South America. A wonderful young couple who knew my parents offered to take me in for the summer. They gave me a place to stay, and they helped me find employment. They even lent me one of their cars to use to get to work. All they asked in return was that I babysit their three boys, ages five, three, and one, once a week so they could go out on a date. It was a great deal, and I was very thankful for them. Well, one day while they were out on a date, I thought I should try using some of what I'd been learning in my classes. I was in the kitchen with a three-year-old, and I asked him, Kyle, do you believe in God? His response was not something I'd been trained for in my classes. He looked at me and said, I don't even know what color he is. At that point, I realized I was probably trying too hard and should let his parents handle the religious instruction for their three-year-old. I've thought about that humorous moment through the years, and in preparation for this sermon, it occurred to me that there was something profoundly true in what Kyle said. The truth contained in the logic of that three-year-old was that we can't worship well what we don't understand. Today we'll be exploring an attribute of God that few of us have thought much about, including me. Honestly, I wouldn't have been able to explain it to you before I studied in preparation for this message. My hope and prayer is that as we learn about God today, it will help us understand him more accurately, worship him more fully, and love him more deeply. The attribute we are looking at today is blessed or blessed, blessedness. Now, the blessedness of God is found in several places in Scripture. Romans 9, 5. To them, Israel, belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. 2 Corinthians eleven thirty one, The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever. 1 Timothy 1, 11, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In simple terms, the word blessed means to be happy. Now, there are two Greek words in the Bible that they translate as blessed, but they mean something very different. Blessed in the sense of a blessing comes from the Greek word eulogitos. It means a pronouncement of a blessing or a word of praise. It's where we get the word eulogy from, to speak well of. 
For example, this word is found in 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The meaning here is that we're praising God for who he is. It's the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, like in Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. When used of God, it means worthy of praise. So we bless God in the sense that we praise him. Now, secondly, blessed in the sense of blessedness comes from a different Greek word, makarios. It means to be happy in a very full and rich sense. It's essentially a state of being. You could say bliss. The word is often used to describe what the people of God experience. Like in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, happy are the peacemakers. Or Psalm 32.1 in Greek, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. So to be blessed means to be happy in a very real and full sense. It means to have true joy. Now, when blessedness is applied to God as an attribute, it's always the second word. But it's not just one of his attributes. This is key. It summarizes the way God enjoys all of his attributes. You could say it's a mega attribute that encompasses all of them. We've been working our way through the attributes of God in this sermon series. And now is a good time for us to consider this one. Why? Because only when all the wonderful attributes of God have been explained, can we take a step back and ask, what is one word that describes the simultaneous possession of all these attributes of perfection. The answer? Blessedness. Actually, the Bible gives two answers to this question, an outward answer and an inward answer. Now, considered outwardly, the sum total of all God's perfections and attributes can be called his glory. So when God shines forth with the comprehensive majesty of all that he is, we call that the divine glory. Now, what the glory of God is outwardly The blessedness of God is inwardly. It answers the question, what is it like to possess all of the perfections of God? To have these perfections is to be blessed. The blessedness of God is a description of what it's like for God to be God. God is perfectly happy. He experiences the fullness of joy in himself. Okay, let's put all this together in one concise definition. The blessedness of God means that God delights fully in himself and in all that reflects his character. That means all that is good and right and lovely, God experiences completely. All that God wants, he already has. All that pleases God, he already possesses. All that causes delight and pleasure, God contains in its totality. All that brings joy and happiness is God's already in its fullness. That's why God alone is truly blessed. So you may be thinking, why does the blessedness of God matter? It matters because it keeps us from thinking wrongly about God. We tend to think of God in terms of our favorite attribute, don't we? God is love. Yes, But he's much more than love. He's not a grandfather handing out $5 bills to his grandchildren. Okay, okay, okay. Well, then God is righteous. Yes, but he is much more than a cosmic dispenser of justice. Blessedness helps us think about 
all of God's attributes at once in their fullness and in complete balance with each other. God is the sum of all that is holy, righteous, just, good, loving, merciful, compassionate, perfect, and beautiful. He's eternal, self-sufficient, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and majestic. God is gloriously happy, joyful, and satisfied. He is blessed. The blessedness of God forces us to rightly think about all that God is in and of himself. Now, we also tend to think of God in terms of ourselves. We think, well, he's like us, only bigger and better. No. God is altogether different than us. He's in another category entirely. So, for example, when we read in Scripture that God is grieved when we sin, we need to understand that this is what is called anthropomorphic language which simply means using human characteristics to describe God. It's a metaphor or an analogy that helps us understand. Scripture uses that language for our sake so that we can understand the weight of our sin. As humans, we know what it means to be grieved by another person's sin, like our own children. We see the harm it does to them, and we see the destruction it will lead to if they don't repent and change. That's why the writers of Scripture use that term to describe God when we sin. He's not literally grieving like we do, because then he would no longer be blessed. He is perfectly and continually happy at all times. Our sin is horrible, but it doesn't take away from the blessedness of God. We simply don't have that kind of power or influence. He is the blessed God, always and forever, with or without us. There is nothing we bring to God that he doesn't already have. You and I need God, not the other way around. So blessedness helps us think correctly about God, which leads us to our thesis for today's message. Because God is blessed, he delights in himself and doesn't need us. Yet, God graciously offers us the joy of sharing in his blessedness. I want to spend the rest of our time today unpacking these two ideas, that God is blessed in himself, but that he offers us the joy of sharing in his blessedness. So to say that God is blessed in himself is to say that he delights in his nature, in his character. In the perfection of the Trinity, for all eternity, God was, is, and always will be fully satisfied in all the glory of his divine attributes and character. Notice the end of our memory verse, Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Notice, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God delights in these things because they come from his own nature. We don't add anything to God that he doesn't already have. This is a good reminder that life isn't about us. That's why scripture says in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. One writer puts it this way. God is sovereign, exalted above all powers, incomparably perfect, inaccessibly majestic, and in a secret sanctuary of divinity, he is ultimately 
blessed. So God delights in his nature, but he also delights in his creation. The universe displays the glory of God, and this pleases him. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Psalm 104.31, May the glory of God endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. God is pleased with creation because it reflects his nature. That's why he rejoices in it. And God even delights in his people. Isaiah 62.5, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, clarify one thing. When God delights in us, it is not because of something intrinsically good about us. It is rather the reflection of his own excellent qualities in which he is rejoicing. The pleasure God finds in us is directly related to how much we honor and reflect him. So Psalm 147.11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. When we live our lives in a way that shows God reverence and awe, when we put our hope in him alone, when we point to God with our lives, this pleases God and he rejoices in us. Now before we go on, a question may have arisen in some of your minds. So I want to clarify something. It's the distinction between our position and our practice as it relates to pleasing God. Our position is how God sees us. As believers in Jesus Christ and in his death for our sin, we are counted as righteous despite our behavior. We are justified, which means declared righteous, by virtue of the work of Christ on our behalf. Listen, with us adding nothing of merit to the process. So Romans 3, 23 and 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. We have been given the righteousness of Christ by God's grace. We call this our position because it is our standing before God. It's what Paul calls being in Christ. We are righteous in God's eyes only because of the work of Jesus. This is God's gift to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is our position. Our practice is how we live. As believers in Jesus Christ, our behavior should be in keeping with our position. If we're part of God's family, then we ought to act like it, just like a child should want to please their parents. When my kids were teenagers and they started having the freedom to go out on their own, I told them, remember who you are and act like a Liebert. That's the same idea we find in Scripture. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So, Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are righteous in Christ regardless of our behavior, but our behavior ought to reflect the fact that we belong to Christ. Said another way, when our practice matches our position, 
Then God does not just see us as righteous, but he is pleased to delight in us also. That is what Psalm 147 meant that we read earlier. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Now, we don't always act like his children, do we? That's when we need verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The challenge for a Christian is not to earn God's righteousness. Jesus has already done that for you. The challenge for a Christian is to live in light of who you are. That pleases God. So, let's summarize. God is blessed in himself. He delights in his nature, in his creation, and in his people as they reflect him. So now we turn to the second part of our main idea today. God offers his blessedness to us. He doesn't need us because he has everything already. And yet, he offers it if we seek it in him. Think about it. If God alone is perfectly blessed, where else would we who are made in his image hope to find our blessedness? Psalm 73:25 is clear. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Psalm 16:11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In fact, to seek joy in anything or anyone else is completely useless and even sinful. Listen to the words of the prophet Jeremiah as he spoke for the Lord. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is what Jesus meant in John 4:14 when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. You see, only God truly satisfies because he's the source of all blessedness. God created us to find satisfaction in him alone, so nothing else will do. And God's offer of blessedness is seen most clearly in the gospel, which is this. God, who had nothing to gain, was pleased to place our sin and punishment on Jesus, giving us the righteousness of his Son in order to reconcile us to himself that we might share the joy that is found in him alone. That's why Paul says that he's been entrusted with, quote, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, 1 Timothy 1.11. One theologian said this, for Paul to call God blessed in the context of the gospel is to point to the sheer gratuity of his self-giving, moved by neither need nor greed, lacking nothing, and unimprovably happy. God gives graciously from his abundance. This is also why Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, at the cross of Jesus, the blessedness of God is offered to undeserving sinners who repent of their sin that they might find forgiveness, joy, and eternal happiness in him who is forever blessed. And lastly, God's offer of blessedness is ultimately realized when we leave this earth and we meet our Savior. Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. 
And then Matthew 25, 21 in Jesus' parable, the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And then he said this, Enter into the joy of your master. This truth gave Paul the confidence to say at the end of his life, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul knew what awaited him in heaven. Though he doesn't need to, God offers us the joy of sharing in his blessedness if we will seek it in him. C.S. Lewis, the great 20th century Christian author of books like the Chronicles of Narnia, understood the blessedness of God. He wrote in The Weight of Glory, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The takeaway question I want you to think about today is in what ways have you been looking for joy in something or someone other than in our blessed God? Take a minute. Think about that. Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were created to bring glory to God, and the best way to do that is by finding your joy in him. Though he has no need of us, by his grace he invites us to share in his blessedness. He offers real joy right now, but only as we look for it in him. He is the pinnacle of all perfection, beauty, and glory, the blessed one. And someday in heaven, we will finally enjoy God face to face, Revelation 22, and see his glory. This experience will be fully satisfying. Are you living now in light of that day? Pray with me. Father, we praise you today as the blessed one. You alone have need of no one and nothing else. You alone are truly and fully happy. You alone delight in the perfections and glory of your nature and majesty. And yet you love us and call us to yourself that we might share in your joy. You forgive us and reconcile us through Jesus. You offer the satisfying living water that meets our deepest needs. Teach us, Lord, to turn from the broken systems that cannot hold water 
Help us to seek for true joy that is found in you alone. In the name of Jesus.